Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Robles, and today we're talking about everything from Apple's event from the iPhone 13, Apple Watch Series 7, and iPad Mini, plus what rumors actually didn't make the event and how you should upgrade your iPhone. This episode is brought to you by Headspace, LinkedIn Jobs, Simply Safe, and Masterclass. And joining me to unpack all of this stuff is my friend Wes Hilliard. How's it going, Wes? Pretty good, Stephen. Is this the end of Space Gray as we know it? <laughs> it's the end of Gray. As you know, I'm wondering because white and silver seems to be phasing out too. It's it's very strange. Yeah, there's only one product release uh, yesterday that has a Space Gray color. Yes. And so we're going to get to that. We're going to get to all the colors of all the devices. There's just a ton to talk about. So we'll jam through it. I just want to touch on real quickly the few rumors that kind of were the biggest ones that totally did not make Apple's event were not announced. Number one, John Prosser, who originally leaked this and then several other people leaked it after him, like 91 mobiles. But that flat sided Apple Watch redesign was supposed to be a big physical redesign this year. Did not happen. We have the same round model we did before. No satellite connectivity as of yet for the iPhone and also no AirPods 3 at this event. So some rumors there. I know John Prosser has a video out now, kind of a little bit of conspiracy theory. He admits about, you know, that's why the Apple Watch isn't available to buy now and production delays is they actually switched the design last minute. So I don't know, man. Do you think that design was ever actually going to come? Well, this could easily be a case of, oops, this is actually the Series 8, which I still don't believe either. Apple came out on stage and in fact, I think rubbed it in Prosser's nose a little bit and talked about how much more rounded the corners were on the Apple Watch. <laughs> yes. Nothing against Prosser or any other leakers or anything like that. But no, no. This, this game's, you know, always going to be hit or miss. And Prosser did do a good job leaking the iPhone 13 and the iPad mini. Now, of course, the cynical side of me will say, we kind of knew what those were going to look like with or without Prosser, and he could have sure. just been kind of making up those renders anyway. We have no idea what goes on behind the scenes over there. We have no idea if these are actual leaks or because, I mean, Prosser can claim whatever he wants. I'm not calling the man a liar, but again, it, like I said last time I was on the show, it's really easy to play the game and, you know, ride along on the fame of the moment kind of thing. Because if you got a track record, and Prosser does, he has a decent enough one, you can pretty much say whatever you want and people may or may not forget it like the iphone 14 leak we saw right nobody's gonna remember <laughs> that that was john prosser by the time it comes out yeah we'll have to see i mean he did accurately leak the air tag and airpods max the imac render he did was pretty accurate yeah he has a good history he has he has a good history but curious if maybe the series 8 next year have any design elements from that flat edge that he was saying so we'll have to see but it just brings up the question of how these leaks get out in the first place i've seen a lot of yes. people asking the question of of you know if you're an apple employee inside of apple and you want to leak this stuff out you know why do it in the first place what kind of employee is leaking this what how is the information reaching people like john prosser and where in the development line are we seeing this it does remind me too that there are any number of apple prototypes being made for devices that may or may not ever exist this apple watch right. with flat sides could have existed oh, yeah. months or even years ago and it just so happens that someone managed to get a a photo or a document to prosser showing this and he and he made a leak about it right he even admits that the person said here's an apple watch they didn't say it was series seven they didn't say it was series eight or anything just right here's a prototype that they're working on that's it that's all we got and yeah same thing could be said for the iphone 14 or any other leaks from this stuff so i wouldn't give up on the leaking game yet you know don't ignore things like ming chi quo and stuff if you're into all of this of course yeah there's still information out there to be heard for sure yeah and mkbhd had an interesting video it was actually came out monday the day before the apple event specifically talking about leaks and how, you know, it's really more entertainment than not. We won't get into it today, but it's an interesting video. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. I do also want to mention that this Monday, September 20th, if you're listening to the show over the weekend, is actually the official launch of iOS 15, iPadOS 15, and HomeOS and tvOS 15 as well, and watchOS 8. We actually talked about the HomePod and tvOS in HomeKit Insider, and you can listen to that episode. It actually comes out Monday. But for iOS 15... Remember, we're not getting two of the big features. One, SharePlay is not coming out right away. That's going to be coming later this fall. And Universal Control, that system where you could take a mouse or trackpad and move it from iPad to Mac across like three different devices. So that won't be coming at launch, but later this fall. One of our editors pointed out, though, that macOS is not releasing on Monday, which is kind of a crucial part of Universal Control. So to be clear, it's not delayed. It's just can't 
release yet. We haven't seen it in any betas yet, not officially. Someone figured out some weird code that you could put in to, to get it to come up uh, through the um, the terminal. Right. But um, yeah, it's never officially been in the betas, so sure, it could get delayed. But um, as far as we know, it'll release on time when macOS Monterey comes out in a few weeks. So some of the features that will be coming Monday is some of the messaging and notification updates for iOS 15, Safari extensions, live text, which I've been using on my iPad with the beta, which is a really cool feature. I think once that's in the hands of the public, you really see the power of that feature and searching for text in photos that you'll be able to do in Spotlight. Some of those health feature updates, especially being able to share health data and the weather app, at least on the iPhone, is getting updated with like radar maps and some new features there. Who knows if we will ever see a weather app on the iPad? No one knows. One last thing before we get to the devices the Apple Store app, I was browsing it this morning, as you do. And if you've ever shopped for like a pre-release product or pre-ordered a product, you know that shipping dates can get delayed pretty quickly. And so I was looking at the iPad mini shipping dates, which I already pre-ordered mine and should be coming on the launch day. But I saw that if you choose a model that's delayed, there's some models that are shipping all the way in October now for the iPad mini that the Apple Store app actually has a new option now that says explore similar options. And when you tap that in the app, it'll actually tell you what configurations, color, memory, cellular, what are still shipping to arrive on launch day, which would be Friday, September 24th, and which you can pick up in store on that day as well. You can actually pre-order it now and set up a reservation time to go to the store and pick it up. Before, like prior to right now, I assume, you could kind of go through and change the configurations manually and see if the shipping date changes. But now they just have that built in where you can tap explore similar options and see all the configurations that are available to still get it launch day or pick up in the store. And I thought that was just a great feature they added to the Apple Store app. Why don't other companies copy Apple in their pre-order experience? <laughs> Steven, did you know that you still cannot buy a PlayStation 5 at all? You can't even pre-order. You can't. Sony will not take your money for a PlayStation 5 no matter how long you're willing to wait. They just won't take it from you. That's so crazy. Yeah. Yeah, of all the things Apple does really well, and they do a lot well, like the pre-order process, even with the iPhone, like you can pre-pre-order, which we'll talk about how to pre-order the iPhone and upgrade later in the show, but the process is great. Like they really have that down on lock. All right, well, let's jump into the devices that Apple actually talked about at the event. We'll go in order of the event, kind of building to the iPhone 13. And we did the recap episode. I, I did it 15 minutes, kind of really talking about all the big things that Apple announced. So in this episode, I want to try and dive into some of the things that either I forgot to cover or some of the information that's come out since the event and that recap day. First of all, the base model iPad, which starts at 329. We're on the ninth generation now. Basically resembles previous models. You still got the home button with Touch ID there. It does have the A13 Bionic, which is nice. I think one of the best features now is that the storage capacity starts at 64 gigabytes, double than what it was last year. The starting base storage was 32. So I think it's great that that has doubled and the $329 version comes with 64 gigabytes. It'll be great one day where that's like over a hundred for the base model. Because I will say both my sons have their own iPads and I made the mistake of getting the base model because I was like, ah, what are they going to do with this? And now they're trying to use GarageBand and trying to edit their own podcasts actually. And 32 gigabytes is not enough space. I'll just say that. But this ninth generation iPad also does add true tone to this display, which is nice. And you get center stage, which if you have kids using it and again, schools and education, like this is the iPad that they buy in mass for students. And so that center stage with a front-facing camera for distance learning is going to be a great feature. So anything about this iPad that you had thoughts of? Well, 32 gigabytes is really a criminal amount of storage in anything. Is this the last device that had 32 base storage, like the eighth generation anyway? Might be. Yeah, I think I think so. It, it's just a funny device because by the time you install the operating system and one game, you're you filled up 32 gigabytes. It's it's crazy. I was looking at my um, iPhone storage earlier uh, to determine if I still wanted to get 512 gigabytes. Definitely not one terabyte. We'll talk about that. I have one game on there called Genshin Impact that somehow takes up 11 gigabytes. I think that's being misreported. Ooh. There might it, there's something broken there, but yeah, <laughs> things take yeah. up a lot of storage these days, and 32 gigabytes just uh, sad. Uh, just wanted to know that this is the last 
iPad with this design. It's the classic Touch ID button. It's the last iPad with a lightning port, which is right. also very interesting. Obviously, Apple wants to <laughs> change as little as possible about this because backwards compatibility with accessories is very important for a budget device. Right. If you're saying, hey, come in and spend $300, you don't want to say, also, by the way, you have to literally buy everything else new. Yeah, no one wants to do that. So Apple's going to extend this guy as far as it can go before it gets finally gets that new flat-sided design. I just thought it was interesting that, you know, this being an iPad is now weird guy out in the uh, lineup. <laughs> and you know what's interesting? Uh, Fernando Silva, a friend of the show, he said, you know, how many devices still have lightning? And obviously the entire iPhone lineup does. But when you actually start thinking about it, there's still a number of devices. Every AirPods model has still has the lightning connector, no USB-Cs. That's regular AirPods Pro and AirPods Max is lightning. You have the MagSafe Duo charger from Apple, the new MagSafe battery pack also has a lightning cable. So even though it's nice that it seems to be less and less Apple devices, I feel like some of the most pervasive ones, namely the iPhone and AirPods, are still on that lightning connector. So I'm afraid it's still going to be with us. Yeah. When when looking at the lineup of products from Macs to iPads to iPhones, whatever, yes, predominantly it is USB-C now. I get it. Like I see everyone screaming like, why not iPhone? Like, let's let's go. But look at the numbers. iPhones alone outnumber every other Apple product sold on the planet. Uh, and those have lightning connectors, you know, since the 30 pin went away, right? So right. that connector is the pretty much the most popular connector, at least in the Apple ecosystem out there, like by far. Right. And then you take into account, okay, the most popular headphone on the planet also uses the lightning connector, the, the AirPods and so on and so forth. So it's just that while yes, there's very few products left, at least sold by Apple with lightning connector, right. but it still is out there. And there's still the third-party programs that put it in third-party accessories like game controllers and stuff. So yeah, right. I don't think it's going anywhere, at least not for another two or three years. No. So you can get this base model iPad right now. You can order it. Again, shipping times vary depending on storage and all that kind of stuff, but that's cool. Then came the iPad mini, which we were both eagerly awaiting for. And we talked about it again on the recap episode, a couple pieces of information that I didn't mention. One, the 5G data, cellular data that you can get with the iPad mini does not include millimeter wave. So you're not going to get the super fast 5G speeds, although you might not be able to get that anyway, you know, depending on where you are. Yeah, sorry. The, the 12 people that live in the areas are very sad about this uh, that can actually use <laughs> yeah. MM wave 5G. Yeah, There is no promotion, which Apple didn't say that and maybe it was assumed, but I do want to say this iPad mini does not have promotion as opposed to the iPad Pro, which does. It was recently discovered that the A15 Bionic processor that's in the iPad mini that's shared in the iPhone 13 lineup is slightly underclocked. It's 2.9 gigahertz in the iPad mini as opposed to 3.2 in the iPhone 13, which I really don't think is a big deal. Yeah, there's a reason for this. I'm sure there's a reason for it, but also the processing power that's used on iPhone, you know, some of the most processing intense tasks an iPhone is going to do is with the camera and taking video and maybe also games, but I don't think the iPad mini is going to hurt for this lowered clock speed. It's just a guess, but uh, apparently iPads have historically used uh, the Apple chipset and almost always have been underclocked. And this is because iPhones are generally thicker. It's funny to think, but yes, the iPad mini is actually thinner than the iPhone right. and by, by a very small amount, but every millimeter counts when it comes to getting rid of heat, uh, heat dissipation. But that's one theory. And then the other theory, of course, is just general energy consumption considerations or, you know, what have you. But yeah, there's there's reasoning behind it. Apple isn't just saying, oh, yes, let's uh, make the iPad slower. But yeah, I, it translated to a, a 2% loss, maybe an 8% loss, depending on which Geekbench score you're looking at. It's it's such a negligible difference in single core and multi-core scores that you're not going to notice. And I mean, yeah. looking from the, if you, if you have have the iPad mini five and look at the iPad mini six and compare those scores, oh, yeah. this thing is up to 70% faster. So yeah, I don't, I don't think we don't have to worry about the chip being too slow. No, not at all. I did notice that the volume buttons on the iPad mini are actually on the top of the device along with the touch ID and power button, which makes sense because if you have a case that connects to the left side, you need the right side to charge the second generation Apple Pencil. So honestly, there's no room for volume buttons if you have that pencil attached to the side. The Apple Pencil is almost as long as the iPad mini is tall. Yes. It's insane. <laughs> it's, it's pretty hilarious to see the pictures, but it's not like 
past the iPad edges because I feel like that would look truly ridiculous, but it's not. So it kind of just about the length, which again, I'm, I'm very excited to get this in hand and, and feel it and read books on it and stuff like that. So volume buttons are on the top with the sleep power button. There's no smart connector on this iPad. Again, Apple didn't say there was and no one assumed, but I was just curious for myself because smart connector is used for like the magic keyboard and other accessories. There's no smart connector. Presumably you're not gonna want a keyboard case with a mini. That'd be a very, very cramped keyboard. Although I'm sure some people would, I'd be curious to see what that would look like, but no smart connector. And you can even see, uh, I Justine did an interview with Tim Cook shortly after the event. And Tim Cook actually shows the iPad mini during the interview and he holds the back of it. And you can see for sure there's not. Well, I just wanted to ask you real quick about the smart connector. Yeah. Uh, are there magnets in the back of the iPad mini, just like the iPad Air? Like, is that how you connect the case? Or are we talking about an iPad situation where it's the magnets on the side where you connect the case? I'm, I believe this is an iPad Air situation where there's magnets in the back and you can only buy the folio style cases that completely wrap around the iPad mini. Is that true? I think so, because... The only folio that Apple is selling right now, which I got, covers the front and the back. I assume the back side attaches via magnets. Yes. Uh, looking at the picture now, this, uh, yeah, it's definitely attaching via magnets. There's no connection to the side of the iPad. So interesting. And so if you had volume buttons on the left side of the iPad, uh, then you would be closing the case on the volume buttons. So Right, exactly. E either way, yeah, it makes sense why the volume buttons are on the top, even if it is an odd choice. I just wanted to point out the magnet thing because that does leave some accessory design open to third parties. I'm kind of hoping Bridge uh, sneaks out a very tiny keyboard for this guy. That would be very funny. And I would buy it just for the novelty honestly <laughs> well and it comes in four colors so this still does have a space gray color i think this is the one product you were talking about that still has the the space gray specifically oh sorry i did not know that um this one has space gray as does the ipad the standard 10.2 inch ipad so right standard iPad, i thought this right. one was also going to be midnight or whatever what I find interesting is the other colors is you have space gray, pink, purple, and this new starlight color, which has gone kind of across Apple devices. We'll talk about later. You can get Apple Watch bands with starlight. The new iPhone is starlight. But pink and purple, I guess in my mind, they're kind of closer on the color spectrum than others. I'm surprised they didn't have like a pink and blue or pink and green. Or if it didn't, like why didn't it mimic the iPad Air colors? You would think you'd have the same choices. So I find that curious, but... I got the starlight version. It looks to be a cross between like white and gold, like something in the middle there. It's not super white, but it's not super gold either. That's the one I have coming. Yeah, it's, like, it's kind of like a beige. Which one did you go with? Well, so here's the fun story. Um, I just stabbed the pre-order button as quickly as possible without like just closed my eyes and, and prayed that I got the pre-order day. <laughs> I didn't even realize when I, because I we're, we're covering this event live and I'm writing articles and stuff. So I didn't get to watch the whole thing uh, minute to minute. So I missed a lot mm -hmm. of the iPad mini announcements. I just knew, hey, this thing exists. I want to buy it. And <laughs> I clicked through and I guess my brain just registered it and I got space gray right away. And then it's like, oh shoot, I, I wanted the blue version just like my iPad Air and went back and saw, oh, it's purple. Never mind i made the right choice <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I've, I've convinced you to spend a bunch of money haven't i okay well here's the other thing <laughs> so it starts at 4.99 it's a hundred dollars more than the previous ipad mini model but that base ipad is 64 gigabytes now at first i just naturally said i'm just gonna try the 64 gigabytes i'm just gonna do ebooks and maybe like reading web browsing stuff like that so i won't need a lot of storage but then you you said, I can't imagine how you're going to live with that or something, something to that effect, which immediately planted the seed of doubt. I, I basically said something along the lines of if this is going to be a five year device before it gets refreshed or even a three year device, 64 gigs is going to age very quickly. And, then, and that is accurate. And I've also never had an iPad mini. This is actually my very first iPad mini. And I was like, I don't want to regret maybe the only iPad mini I ever buy by getting the smaller option. So I went back into the Apple Store app and saw that I could get the Starlight color with the 256 gigs still on launch day. And so I did it. And also when I went back into the Apple Store, even Apple has this little like notification banner right in the storage configuration area. And they say, quote, plan ahead, leave room for later. The more storage your iPad mini has, the more room you have to store digital content now and in the future. I said, well, if Wes and Apple is telling me to get the larger storage, I guess I better do it. So I got the 256 and I canceled my 64 gigs. And I think most people went 256 because if you look at the shipping dates, if you go to the Apple app store and you click the show me other configurations, 
there's more 64 gigabytes available still for launch day than there are 256. So I'm with you. It was $150 jump, which I feel like is a lot. It is a lot. For a storage jump. You know, usually it's like a $100 jump. So it's like, uh, but I did it. I did 256. Now I did Wi-Fi only. Did you get the cellular version? I already pay for cellular for my iPad Pro. I don't want to do it for both. So so if I'm going to have something with me, I can tether. I'll, I'll never be without a phone likely. So yeah, I can tether it. Yeah, that's... That's good. You know, I got a Wi-Fi only iPad Pro. I don't regret it yet. You know, it's still not traveling a bunch yet. So, you know, maybe one day I will. But hotspot for the iPhone works really well. It automatically connects to the hotspot a lot of times. I don't even have to jump into the settings. So that's good. And and I didn't want to pay for cellular on another device. Cellular is another $150. Back in the day, it used to just be a $130 upgrade, but now it's a whole $150. And to do cellular and the larger storage size, now you're looking at an $800 iPad mini, which is like really close to iPad Pro territory. And it's yeah. like, and, mm. I mean, the way I think about it is, is when it comes to cellular, if I need it, it's probably for work right? because uh, when I am traveling, I'm working from my iPad anyway, and having that 5G capability in the newer iPad is nice. So I, I went for it and got the, the 5G uh, cellular plan for it. But for an iPad mini, it's going to be more of a consumption device. The way I treat my secondary iPad is definitely as more of a, this is for books, this is for reading, this is for games, internet type stuff. So right. having that constant cellular connection isn't necessary. So yeah, that and having another bill would just kind of be silly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, didn't want to do that. So I'm excited to try this out. Wes and I both get ours on launch day, again, Friday, September 24th. It's unfortunate we won't be able to talk about it on the next episode of this podcast because we'll only get it delivered the day the podcast comes out. But Wes will be back the next week and we will give our full thoughts. I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. So what are you going to be using this one for? You're going to basically use it as a Kindle device or? Kindle device. And also there are times when I want to browse like Apple News or I have a few like tabs open that I wanted to read like articles or whatever. And I I don't go for my 12.9 inch iPad Pro because it's just that cumbersome. And a lot of times, you know, if a text message comes in or whatever, and I want to reply quickly, if I have the iPad Pro out of its magic keyboard case, it's, it's really hard to like touch type while you're holding it. You know, you can stretch your thumbs pretty far and you can also split the keyboard or you can shrink the keyboard to that one side, but I just don't find that enjoyable. It's too unwieldy. It's too big. It's too, it's too big. So I plan to do some web browsing, news reading, and maybe even like watch something if I don't have any devices with me or if I'm out of the house. So I plan to use it for that stuff. And honestly, when I'm home, my five-year-old daughter, like she has no device to her name. And she usually like borrows one of ours if she's going to watch something on Disney Plus. And so if we're in the house, like I'm probably not going to be using it most of the time while I'm working. And so it'll probably become her like watch something device or do a preschool game if I don't need it. Yeah, this replaces my iPad Air Mm. as my everyday tablet because again the ipad pro for me is basically a desktop laptop kind of thing yes i use it as a tablet sometimes but more rarely it's usually attached to some kind of keyboard monitor something which is fine like that's how i like to use the ipad ipad os is built for that now uh so yeah ipad as a tablet isn't really a thing for me it's primarily a laptop these days but this is the perfect ipad as a tablet computer for me so while like during the workday i won't be using it directly uh I can't keep Slack open constantly on my iPad because, you know, no Windows. So I use the secondary iPad to keep Slack open, make sure that I'm always available in that program because, you know, green dots and all of that, you know, music selection. Or right now I'm using it to talk to you over Skype. So it has some work applications I use it for, but it's not really primarily for that. But when I'm not at work, obviously reading and whatnot, I'm definitely interested in trying this as a note-taking pad. I have the Apple Pencil too, so I'll be attaching it to that and doodling and stuff. But um, I've already started looking to some gaming stuff because I, f- I feel like this is going to be a really fun size for, you know, general Apple Arcade games, certain games running on it. And the A15 processor should help with that. But <laughs> do you, have you heard of Game Vice or those type of controllers? No. For the iPhone? Oh, yeah. Like you put your iPhone in it basically, right? Yeah, yeah. It just it tra- it, it turns into a little Nintendo Switch. Right. And that's on an iPhone size display. I've already looked into Android versions of this that use the USB-C connector. And the only ones I found are limited to about 171 millimeters long, which is sadly 20 millimeters too short for the iPad mini. So here's hoping that we see somebody make a uh, very fancy iPad mini controller for this and uh, turn it into a giant Nintendo Switch device. That could be really cool. Oh yeah, and I'm sure the accessory market will go wild shortly once this thing launches. So 
for sure. Listeners, let us know if you picked up an iPad mini or pre-ordered one. Um, Yeah, I'm pretty excited for it. This episode is brought to you by Headspace. If people keep trying to tell you, or maybe you just keep hearing that you need to try meditation, but you don't know how to start, when to start, you feel like you don't have the time, you really need to try out Headspace. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. Headspace is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. Overwhelmed? Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation just for you. If you need help falling asleep, Headspace has wind-down sessions their members swear by. Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. I've actually been using Headspace for over a year now, and I love it. They have special sessions just for kids, and I actually do it with my kids on focus and attention. I love that. They have sessions on anxiety and stress that I've done that have really helped, especially when I'm just feeling like there's so much to be done. And some of my favorite new features is they actually have focus music. Hans Zimmer, he's a composer who's written music for tons of movies. You can actually go in and listen to 80 minutes of music that Hans Zimmer has chosen just specifically for focusing, which is so cool. And they have new soundscapes that's kind of like environmental sounds. One of my favorite is Lighthouse Bluff. You just get a nice like ocean sounds. And so if you like those kind of white noise machines or, or that atmospheric type soundscape, Headspace has that now too. It's so cool. Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Headspace makes it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you on your schedule. You deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash appleinsider. That's headspace.com slash appleinsider for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now, so go to headspace.com slash appleinsider today and try it for an entire month totally for free. You won't regret it. Our thanks to Headspace for sponsoring this episode. And our thanks to LinkedIn Jobs. Today, many small business owners are busier than ever. Time spent searching for and interviewing candidates can take time away from managing and growing a business. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has made it easier to get the candidates worth interviewing faster. And get this, it is free. I've done hiring in various jobs. I've had to hire creative people, graphic designers, videographers, and trying to find good candidates is really difficult unless you use LinkedIn Jobs. I've actually found the best candidates for positions that I've looked for, both in the creative fields and in other jobs. They are on LinkedIn Jobs. You can create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 770 million people. You can focus on candidates with the skills and experience you need, use screening questions to get your role in front of only the most qualified people, and then use simple tools on LinkedIn Jobs to quickly filter and prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates worth interviewing faster. Did you know every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash appleinsider. That's linkedin.com slash Apple Insider to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Our thanks to LinkedIn Jobs for sponsoring this episode. Now we have to get to a device I'm very torn on, Wes. We've talked about the Apple Watch before you upgrade pretty regularly. The Apple Watch Series 7 does not have that flat edge design that was rumored. So the physical shape of the device is very similar to the Series 6. Apple also never mentioned the chip that was going to be inside the new Apple Watch. And after information has come out, it's basically the S6 chip that's in the Series 6, like rebranded Series 7 or S7 chip. You know, Apple didn't talk about it in the event. It wasn't really anywhere to be found for a while on their website. So CPU chip, basically the same as the Series 6. This happened before, by the way. I believe this S4 and the S5 were nearly identical sans, uh, I think there was a gyroscope added to the S5. Exactly. There was a new, yeah, a new sensor. But this has no additional sensor. The S7 chip really has nothing new. So performance-wise, you're not going to see an improvement on the Apple Watch Series 7. You do have the less bezels and a little more screen real estate, which to that point, I thought this was interesting. I, I found this... I think through a Daring Fireball link article, 
But Quinn, who has the Snazzy Labs YouTube channel, he basically tweeted that the screenshot that Apple used to show off how much text you could see on the Series 7 versus the Series 6 was a little unfair. Like, line height was seemed a little larger on the Series 6 to make it look like less text was visible. And also, the justification of the text, there was a lot of white space on the Series 6 text message bubble. I'll use this as the chapter art so you can see what I'm talking about. But as far as how much more screen real estate you're actually going to get with the 7 over the 6, in real-life day-to-day use, I don't know if it would make that big of an impact. Are you more excited for the screen real estate than I am? Well... Look, th- th- I'm, I've always been a tech first kind of person. So just seeing that the display size changed is enough for me to want the new watch. Sadly, <laughs> that's just how my brain works. I got to have it. Yeah, yeah. I want to see how it looks. I want to use it. Um, and I'm definitely a fan of how they've curved the edge kind of over the side. Now, all the Samsung users out there are screaming. Yes, I get it. The edge S7 Plus Ultra Max uh, had a <laughs> curved side edge on it. We know like seven years ago, but yeah, this thing's cool. (laughs) I'm excited to kind of see how complications and stuff work with that. If they even uh, acknowledge the uh, rounded edge or if it's just certain watch faces and whatnot. So something to play with. Which the two new watch faces that will be exclusive to the series seven Apple watch is a new dual large infographic face where you can have two large complications. So you can have like the five day weather or the, you know, the long weather thing and another long complication like the health heart rate dot data thing and then you have the contour face and i actually watched parts of the event with my wife like as a repeat last night just to kind of show her the new devices and when that contour watch face is shown in the in the apple video and how it's like morphing and changing like around the edges she was like that's a little much <laughs> that's a lot of motion it's like yeah i don't know if i would use the contour face on this new apple watch but i don't know man i i was all excited i was like all right i'm gonna get a new apple watch just because and Last year, I got the Series 6. I splurged and got the Titanium because I was coming from a Series 3. Like, I had not updated for several years. But now that I'm looking at the Series 7, you know, color-wise, you have some new aluminum colors, but I usually go with the Steeler Titanium, and those colors are basically the same. There was no ceramic this year. If they would have said ceramic Series 7, I might have jumped on it because I've never had a ceramic watch, but they didn't do that. And so I'm, I'm really struggling now. It's like, Am I going to get the Series 7 and like the faces I use are not edge to edge. They're all black. So it's not like I'm going to notice a difference on the watch faces that I regularly use. And I never really have an issue with reading a text message. If it's a long one, I'm going to have to scroll anyway. And if it's short, I'm going to see it no matter, you know, whether I have the 6 or the 7. I don't know, man. I don't know if I'm going to update to this. Yeah, I uh, struggled for a moment to consider upgrading because this definitely feels like the first Apple Watch. I mean, there's been small update years. The four to the five uh, was definitely a small update, but I think there was some health sensors there that I was like, yeah, I want to, I want to check these out. But this is the first watch that says, you know, no health features, uh, no fitness changes, no new gyroscope or altimeter thing, you know, nothing changed except for uh, slight tweaks to the display and faster charging speeds. And I'm, I'm definitely here for the charging speeds that 33% faster charging is going to be interesting because I already don't really have to worry about my watch dying the way I use it and charge it. But now it's just a non-issue. I mean, I can throw it on a, the puck for five minutes and then, uh, you know, good to go for another few hours. Is that faster charging not on the six though? No, Apple actually mentioned in the video, now that I think about it, okay. that they reconstructed the entire charging mechanism for the Series 7 watch. This is a hardware-specific feature. Okay. I hear you're trying to sell me on it. I don't know if I'm convinced yet, though. Well, <laughs> I, got, I got a hair closer. <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not trying to sell you on it. This is, these are the considerations I went through because it's like, okay, I I'm, I'm an aspirational Apple watch user. I'll be honest. I I want to use it more. I want to get into the complications game and, and download apps on the app store and, and really dig into this guy. But you know, time in an adult life is limited. Sorry. Uh, just, I, I, I feel like the older I get, the less minutes in the day I have and memento mori. Yeah, yeah, playing uh, No Man's Sky lately, but that's not important. (laughs) The Series 7 is interesting enough to me. I I feel like the nude screen does kind of scream a new watch. I feel like once we have it on our wrist, it'll be a noticeable increase, especially if the uh, complications are able to extend all the way to the edge. I want to see how developers take advantage of this. Don't think that this is a terrible upgrade. If you're only S6 and are considering an upgrade, 
probably not. I mean, considering this is the first time I even hesitated on buying a watch might say something for the average user. <laughs> right. But it, what's crazy to me is there's a, there's no space gray option. Midnight is a blue color. So it's Yes. If if I want a gray if I want a gray or black watch, I have to go up to titanium or stainless steel, which is fine, but I think I'm going to end up with Midnight, by the way, just cuz I can I can live <laughs> with the the blue tint. Most of my wardrobe is blue grays anyway, so Right, right. I don't know. You know, I feel like I'm going to be okay just getting some new bands because in addition to the new colors of the watch and at least in the aluminum side, there's some really cool new bands if you haven't seen those yet. Yeah. And they have like a dark cherry, which I actually have arriving as we record. It might even be delivered now. They have a maze, which is like a yellow. And for me, I feel like if I get a couple new bands, I'll be satisfied that like I've, it has something new. I will say buying bands right now is very confusing because it's great that they're compatible with all Apple watches, but Apple only lists the millimeter size of the most recent Apple watch. So even though you can't even get an Apple watch series seven, when you go to buy a band, they sell it in 41 millimeter and 45 millimeter, which no one has, you know, no one has an Apple watch right now with those millimeters. And if someone has a 38 millimeter series three, I guess it would be, it would have to be a series three. Yes. Series three. You know, you don't even see like your tens digit size in any of these bands you know you'd be like 41 millimeters is that for mine so i feel like they could clean that up a little bit or even maybe list the the other sizes in small print under the 41 and 45 other than the display changing i feel like this is almost like the purple iphone 12 released in the spring Mm. it's much of the same because again you're nothing's going to change the technology the health systems everything is identical even watch os is identical minus a few tweaked uis like the calculator getting bigger but everything else is the same so just remember that you you, the only reason you're buying this watch if you're a series 6 owner is if you just can't live without that display and me being the nerd i am i have to have the newest thing (laughs) sorry it's just i've been cursed with consumerism but i i love having the new thing and i love playing with the new technology and i would feel dumb coming on the apple insider podcast and saying hey guys i have the three-year-old watch but you know i know that's not important but i know there's nerds out there listening to this who who understand completely what i'm saying but (laughs) i was there honestly till just about two hours ago because i was really (laughs) i was i was doing research looking at the major differences and when i saw that the chip stuff was really the same if there was any like 20 percent increase in performance i would have been there because you never know what kind of apps are going to come out or complications that all that stuff would benefit from more ram or a faster processor in the apple watch because this is the most constrained computational powered device in apple's lineup so any improvement and it also helps battery life you know if you have a faster cpu chip then it doesn't have to clock as high just to do normal tasks helps with battery life all right, here, here's here's the selling point. Here, If this doesn't convince you, nothing will. All right, you, you ready? I'm ready. Let's go. The pixels, the, no, the you know, vertical versus horizontal space of the pixels is larger now than the original iPhone on the new Apple Watch. <laughs> I mean, that, that is very interesting. So you are now wearing the original iPhone on your, on your wrist. Like, that's how far technology has advanced. I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> it's, it's enough steps removed to not affect my... Right, right, right. <laughs> to not make me want it anymore. Now, my, my last question, though, the full screen keyboard, is that just the Series 7? Good, good question. I'm assuming that Apple will lock this to just the Series 7 because looking at the image, that thing is definitely extended all the way to the edge. Right. Because this was the thing where Apple actually denied that one app that was putting a full keyboard on the Apple Watch. Yeah, flick type. Flick type, right. They kicked them out of the store and it's like, mm-hmm, and then you do your own thing. Well, I was going to ask you about this because uh, basically, long story short, flick type is this keyboard that's been around for a while. And I don't believe Apple ever opened up the Apple Watch keyboard API like it did on the iPhone to allow third-party keyboards. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that that is the case. And this guy, somehow, he created an iPhone keyboard that lets you swipe on it. You know, there's several swiping keyboards on iPhone, but he included a feature that somehow, who knows, got around on the Apple Watch and let you add a keyboard. And Apple said, no, no, you can't do that. Only we can you know, control the keyboard on this operating system and he got booted from the app store now he's suing them for a bunch of money and you know he's he's the guy who's also been posting a lot about uh scam apps in the app store clones and all of that stuff so he he has a long history i think he's also suing apple on a different charge related to scam apps 
How's he affording all these lawyers? I, I <laughs> don't know. It must be that app store revenue. Um, oh, yeah, that's right, that's right. So, yes, of course, it is a little strange. And coming from a developer perspective, I understand seeing this might make you emotional. But uh, from my point of view, that it's just it's just another one of those situations where the, the rules exist. We know them. They may or may not be fair. I'm not here to debate that right now. But they are on paper. And this developer apparently violated them and was removed from the app store. And... Now, yes, Apple did come out with a swiping keyboard on the Apple Watch, and that looks a little funny, but also you can't patent things that you can't patent a keyboard. You can patent the style of the keys. You can you can patent how it connects to the computer or the technology used to get that information. But I don't think there's a patent for the QWERTY style, you know, Q-W-E-R-T-Y, right? right? Like it's him suing over this is a little odd. Yes, I think uh, that. There's a part of the story where Apple apparently approached him for acquisition and then disappeared in the talks and never came back. There's, there's a whole history there that we're not going to get into, but yeah. just an interesting conversation surrounding it anyway. For sure. So I will say the Apple Watch Series 7 starts at $399 for the aluminum. No date yet when this will be available to order. I will say if you have a Series 5 or earlier, this might be a good upgrade. If you have a 4 or earlier, it's probably a great time to upgrade. Oh, yeah. I would absolutely upgrade from a Series 4, especially for the battery life, because this is the 18-hour battery life that we got in the Series 6. And you can hear the guys at the Accidental Tech Podcast complain about the Series 3 still being for sale, but do not buy a Series 3, listener. I know it's the cheapest model. You'd be better off getting a secondhand Series 4, 5, or 6 than buying that Series 3, because... I, it's just crazy that they're still selling it. So well, the SE is a year old now. That thing should be on sale some places. I bet you could find one easily for under two fifty. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, real quick, I just want to mention Fitness Plus. You know, we talked about the group workouts in the recap episode, but I think this is an interesting new feature coming to Fitness Plus, where you can use the camera on your iPhone or iPad. You can also AirPlay to the Apple TV and do group workouts with up to thirty-two different people. I think the next great step for Apple would be to introduce live classes with trainers where you can have a trainer like Peloton and other companies do where they can open up a class and you as the Fitness Plus workouter in your home can do this group workout and actually have a certified trainer. I'm sure people will do this. Like I'm sure just individual private trainers will set up group Fitness Plus classes, you know, and they can just kind of run the FaceTime call. But I think it's a great feature and I think it opens the door to some of this stuff in the future. Yeah, the ATP guys were making fun of this because A, it's a it uses share play, which doesn't exist yet. And B, right. do we want like me and you, Stephen, let's go and get on some workout bikes later and stare at each other while we're riding. No, 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 no. You know, over FaceTime. I, I do wonder, because they brought that up during the call, and this is something we'll have to test. Does share play work over FaceTime audio. Oh, that's interesting. Because then you wouldn't have to stare at each other. I mean, technically, you could start a FaceTime call and just turn off the camera. Like you can hit the true, true, you know, turn the camera. Just, off it's just a, just like a curiosity. Cause I mean, obviously, yeah. you know, part of this is like music listening uh, and stuff, but like, if you didn't want to see some, you know, yourself in the camera or have other people see you, couldn't you just switch over to FaceTime audio? Anyway, question yeah. for another time. Just, yeah, just a thought that occurred. Or just put a piece of duct tape over that camera. That works too. Oh, there you go. Yeah, you can do that. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Listeners, I'm a huge smart home fan. We literally have a whole podcast about it on the Apple Insider Network. I do security cameras, smart lights, door locks, all of that stuff. And one of the products that's hard to find can be good quality outdoor wireless security cameras. And Simply Safe has just launched a brand new one that ticks all the boxes. U.S. News and World Report called Simply Safe the best home security system of 2021, and it just got even better. This brand new outdoor security camera is engineered with all the advanced tech and security features you want and need to help keep you and your family safe. It has an ultra-wide, 140-degree field of view, so you can keep watch over your entire yard. It has 1080p HD resolution with an 8x zoom. That means you can zoom in and clearly see things like faces and license plates to capture the critical evidence. It has built-in spotlight with color night vision, so you can keep an eye on what's going on day and night, and it's super simple to set up. just takes minutes. It has an easy-to-remove rechargeable battery, so it doesn't need an outlet, and can go anywhere on your property. This camera has it all, and it integrates with your Simply Safe home security system, extending its protection to the outside. Together, it means every door, window, and room are protected, and now your property will be too. And not only is this good for security purposes, but if you have kids, pets, or animals that you just want to keep an eye on when they're outside, this is a great solution for you. 
To learn more about the exciting new Simply Safe wireless outdoor security camera, visit simplysafe.com slash Apple Insider. That's S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E dot com slash Apple Insider. And what's more, Simply Safe is celebrating this new camera by offering 20% off your entire new system and your first month of monitoring service free when you enroll in interactive monitoring. Again, that's simplysafe.com slash Apple Insider. Our thanks to Simply Safe for sponsoring this episode and Masterclass. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. You can learn about scientific thinking from Neil deGrasse Tyson or space from astronaut Chris Hadfield. You can learn about cooking from Gordon Ramsay or one of my favorite courses. You can learn the art of negotiation from Chris Voss. With over 100 classes from a range of world-class instructors, the thing you've always wanted to do is closer than you think. I love Masterclass because you actually get to see and hear from some of the best minds in these areas. Doing the music composition for film with Hans Zimmer, you see him in his studio talking about melodies for characters and themes, and you get to see him work with all his equipment. It's so cool. And if you want to take a cooking class, it's incredible to be able to see someone like Gordon Ramsay cook right in front of you while he's teaching you how to do it. Masterclass is available everywhere. You can get it on your iPhone, your iPad, your Apple TV, or watch it in the web. And one of my favorite features is to start one on your phone, flip it to audio, and just listen to it like a podcast like you're doing right now. Each course is broken down into about 10 to 15 minute lessons, so it's easy to do on your lunch break, or you can binge an entire class. And if you do something like a cooking class, you get high quality downloads that basically rival a cookbook right from Masterclass. I highly recommend you check it out, get unlimited access to every Masterclass, and as an Apple Insider listener, you get 15% off an annual membership. Go to masterclass.com slash Apple Insider. That's masterclass.com slash Apple Insider for 15% off Masterclass. Our thanks to Masterclass for sponsoring this episode. The iPhone 13. Again, a lot of stuff we talked about in the recap, a couple points of information, and really want to talk about the differences between the 13 and 13 Pro, which I think are interesting. But it's great that there's no more 64 gigabyte option. The base model now for the iPhone 13 is 128 gigabytes. Great to see that floor being raised for people. The A15 processor, the A15 Bionic that they announced, turns out is going to be about 21% faster CPU performance. There were some benchmarks that came out late this week. So nice to see that speed improvement. Apple really didn't talk about the chip a lot during the event, which some events, especially when there's like a really big leap in performance, they'll spend a long time talking about the chip. And I think the A13 Bionic was like that. You know, they talked about it over and over. So there is an improvement though. The A15 is about 21% faster. Yeah, that's that's according to like uh, early Geekbench scores and Geekbench right. is an odd tool anyway. But I, I just wanted to talk about this real quick. I know we, had, we still have a whole iPhone event to get through, but there's been a lot of uproar around the internet about this uh, in the nerd spaces anyway. No one really cares. Reminder, again, the nerds are the small group and not the big one. Yeah, people are upset. Like, you know, is the A15 just the A14? It just kind of like how the Apple Watch you know, series seven chip works and then asking if this is actually a performance improvement and why is Apple covering it up? And there's this conspiracy theory. I, I believe there's a whole article uh, written about how Apple has been losing employees in its chip fabrication plant uh, where they come up with these designs and it's like, ha- has the uh, brain share leaked out of Apple and they no longer can make good processors or whatever. And it's just like, no, no, calm. no. <laughs> like, can we all take a step back? <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. I mean, let us not forget that the M one exists and, and we're going to be seeing probably an M1X very soon. So, and let's not even let's not even consider the fact that the A14 last year's chip is still two years ahead of Android's most powerful processor available today, let alone the A15. Uh, and so, like I, I posed the question on Twitter earlier before we started the show, is just what exactly is the expectation here? I don't want I'm not defending Apple. I don't want this to come across as uh, you know, oh no, don't don't pick on poor Apple, leave Apple alone. But um, I just wanted to ask the question of of the nerds saying this stuff, like what, what's the expectation here? Do we expect 30, 40% increases every year on a device that already has like perform, like is your iPhone 12 slow? Like, are you seeing performance issues? Like that's, that's my question. Like what, what, (laughs) while the argument should be, yes, we, we always want to see improvements. I'm not saying that the pace is crazy. And uh, Apple is already so far ahead in the industry. They're effectively competing with themselves. So, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. What's our expectation here? 
you know, I think going forward, we might hear less and less about the actual like performance and percentages, and we'll really be able to tell when certain features arrive on the iPhone. For instance, the new feature for the 13, and it is an exclusive to the 13, it's not coming to the 12 and software updates, is that cinematic mode for video, where you can shift focus either automatically or manually, even after you film. Now, a couple things are interesting about this. You do get it on the 13 and the 13 Pro, but cinematic mode, you can only use cinematic mode in 1080p, 30 frames per second. So you cannot do 4K video in cinematic mode. That's in all the footnotes on the 13 and 13 Pro. Even the 13 Pro, Pro Max, doesn't matter. Cinematic mode is only 1080p at 30 frames per second. And that's one of the things where it is doing a ton of processing as you film a video in cinematic mode. I mean, it is shifting focus. It's capturing focus in multiple places. That's what makes you able to adjust the focus even after you capture a video. And that's just a ton of data to gather as you're previewing it live on the screen of your iPhone, which makes sense. So you can only do 1080p at 30 frames per second. Right. But I'm sure as the chips advance in the next few years, you'll be able to tell when they've gotten faster because this feature, cinematic mode, will probably be available in 4K 30 and maybe even 4K 60 in the future once the chip can handle it. We've seen this happen before, and this this uh, mode is just like portrait mode in a lot of ways, because again, you can adjust the depth information later, all of this stuff is being recorded. But yes, I think just on a computational level, we're just pushing these things over the limit. I, I feel like you're gonna drain yeah. your battery very quickly filming in cinematic mode. Oh my goodness, for sure. And it's all, I'm very curious what this is going to look like in practice because portrait mode, you know, in demos that Apple shows, portrait mode looks like amazing DSLR or mirrorless quality. But in practice, you know, if someone's hair is flowing the wrong way or someone has their hands on their hips, those little triangles in between, like the space in their arms, a lot of times portrait mode can mess that up. So it'll be curious how good cinematic mode does in difficult situations like that. I do wonder too, though, what this means for regular portrait mode. If we're filming with portrait mode, essentially, do you think that this means there's huge improvements in regular portrait mode? Apple didn't really talk about it. There's only so much time in an event, but I wonder if the processing power there has just increased that much more because of things like cinematic mode. So it'll be interesting to play with. Yeah, maybe. I'd, I'd be curious to see. So a couple of the things that noticed after the recap, the speaker grill on the iPhone 13 and 13 Pro has moved like all the way up to the very top edge of the phone. So if you have a iPhone 10 to iPhone 12, you see that speaker grill on the front next to the FaceTime camera. It's like right in the middle of the notch, kind of in the middle of that black area. But now that the notch is thinner and Apple has moved that speaker grill all the way up to the top edge, almost like into the bezel area. And obviously one day in the future, I'm sure we will have a no-notch iPhone somehow, some way. And so it almost looks like it's getting ready for that. But I don't know, it's just a curious way, you know, holding it up to your ear, I guess it wouldn't really matter that much, but it looks... Uh, it doesn't look funny, but after several years of the speaker grill being in the notch where it is, it is a little weird to see it so far up. Steven, we live in the world of AirPods. How often are you holding your phone to your ear to make a call? I try I try to never do it. I try to never <laughs> answer the phone. That's that's what I do. Oh, just, yeah, just don't even let it ring. Put it on Do Not Disturb Exactly, forever. exactly. Yeah. Now, the new iPhone 13s do support dual eSIMs, which is really cool. The eSIM launched last year where you can have a carrier plan without a physical SIM card. And now you can have two carrier plans without physical SIM cards. So you get dual eSIMs. The new iPhones are going to be a little thicker and heavier. I'm curious how that is in practice. The 12 Pro coming from the 11 Pro was like noticeably heavier. After a year, you don't notice as much, but I'm curious what that's going to feel like. Are you going to go with the Pro Max, Wes, now that I think about it? Uh, briefly considered, but yes, uh, the larger display is still enough, you know, to, to sway me. Okay. And there's okay. more battery life, obviously. Yeah, for sure. So what's interesting about the iPhone 13 versus the iPhone 13 Pro this year is that the camera systems between the wide angle and the ultra wide between the 13 and 13 Pro are actually different qualities between the 13s. Last year, if you got an iPhone 12 or a 12 Pro, not the Max, but the 12 and 12 Pro, the wide angle or the main camera lens and the ultra wide were the exact same aperture and pixel size and all that. But this year, the camera system between the 13 and 13 Pro is different for every lens. Aperture is a little better. It lets in a little more light on the Pro models. And plus you get the 3X telephoto now on the 13 Pro. There is sensor shift stabilization on the wide angle cameras for both the 13 and the 13 Pro, but we do actually have a 
little bit of an improvement from the 13 to the 13 Pro, unlike previous years. And the 13 Pro and Pro Max are actually the exact same camera system, unlike last year. Last year, the Pro Max had that sensor shift and the 12 Pro did not. So this year, choosing between the Pro models, you're choosing the exact same camera system, but going from 13 to 13 Pro, you do get an improvement on that Pro model. It's, it is funny, Apple had to mention that they specifically put the iPhone 13 cameras in a diagonal formation to fit the sensor shift technology, which I guess makes sense. It needs the space. Just funny that they had to make an excuse, I guess, for the camera change. Right. I wanted to note that the iPhone 13 mini and iPhone 13, I, I believe, have the same size camera bump on the back. So your cases should actually fit. I don't know if the microphones have changed or if the speaker grill being higher will affect certain cases. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. But the pro models are definitely going to need new cases if you have, uh, if you're upgrading yeah. between generations, because that camera bump is huge. And some cases are actually coming right now. I actually have a 13 pro case arriving today with those Apple watch bands. So I'll post pictures of that. But yeah, I'm, cu I'm curious to see the camera bump difference, 12 pro to 13 pro for sure. Now the iPhone 13, you can get the mini starting at $699, same price as last year. You know, there were rumors that it might be more expensive this year, and thankfully they are not. Keeps the same prices, $699. The 13 regular model starts at $799, and it comes in the pink, blue, midnight, starlight, and product red color. So no black or space gray on the 13. The darkest you can get is that midnight color. Does seem to have a bluish hue. We'll have to wait till we see videos and photos in person. Oh no, that is absolutely navy blue. Like if there was a yeah, color it's navy that's navy blue. Yeah. <laughs> and then the blue is like a tealish. It's got like a hint of green and blue. So curious on the color choices there. Again, they have the starlight, this new color that's more white than gold, but kind of in between. So really curious what this stuff looks like in person for for sure. I want to mention quickly the MagSafe wallet. This came up in the announcement and I was like a U1 chip in the MagSafe wallet, but that's not the case. So uh, please do not get excited. I, I really almost ordered this thing and I'm very happy I didn't. I did because I was like, I don't know how this is doing it, but I'm going to assume the best and just get it. And then later I realized, yes, the new MagSafe wallet has find my support, but the only support it really gives you is if you separate it from your iPhone physically, it will mark the location where that separation happened. But after that, there is no way to ping the location of this new MagSafe wallet via U1 or any wireless technology, which makes sense. I mean, it's like two pieces of leather sewn together. So there's no battery, there's no U1 chip, there's no anything. It just tells you where it was separated, which I guess is better than nothing, but not what I was hoping for. Yeah, I'm still waiting for third-party manufacturers to start making AirTag MagSafe wallets because it's possible. I own one. It's made by uh, this very small company. It's It might literally be like two people. Obviously, it's it's one of those, like I think I paid $40 for it. It's got good materials and stuff and, and a decent enough design, but it is clearly like very third-party like you'd find on an Amazon store. Yeah. Whereas like I want to see like Nomad come out with a version of this and see what kind of design aspects they might take to it because yes it's going to stick out further from the back of the iphone but i believe that having in using this kind of wallet in practice it's actually been kind of nice having magsafe connection to the iphone when i'm holding both the wallet and the phone in my hand yeah. plus having the air tag for if i take the wallet off of the phone so it's just a win-win in that situation yeah so then we finally have the 13 Pro starts at $999 for the Pro, $1099 for the Pro Max. Again, camera system is the same, but it is an upgraded camera. It has apertures that open wider, which is a lower number, but the, the wide angle on the 12 Pro is a 1.5 aperture. Telephoto is a 2.8, which is actually not as a wide aperture as the 12 Pro. The 12 Pro was a 2.5 or 2.4, I believe. So curious to see what kind of light sensitivity we get from this telephoto. It's a 3X as opposed to a 2X, but it lets in less light. So we'll have to see the, the quality. We're basically trading the zoom for the light quality there. And that's that's right. a fair enough trade because if you're using the, the telephoto lens in anything other than a bright room, it's not going to be the telephoto lens anyway. It'll switch to the wide angle. So why fuss over how much aperture it has when the zoom is the, the point of the device? So right. I, I believe this was a fair trade. I'm glad that we get sensor shift now on the iPhone 13 Pro as well as the Pro Max. So on the wide angle camera or the standard camera lens, the 1X, you'll get that sensor shift stabilization. And you can do ProRes video. This piece of information came out after the event. 
If you wanna do ProRes video, that higher format, high quality, less compressed format on the 13 Pro, you can shoot 4K 30 in ProRes, but only if you get the 256 gigabyte model or higher. You can only do 1080p ProRes if you do the 128 gigabyte. I thought that was interesting. You have to get at least a 256 gigabyte phone because that ProRes video, those files are going to be huge. Yeah, I think uh, you can fill a one terabyte iPhone in, a, in less than four hours of recording, <laughs> which just think about that for a second, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why this doesn't work um, at 4K on a 120 gigabyte iPhone, I believe the math works out to something like, you know, less than <laughs> half an hour of video. But right, yeah, exactly. it, it's not it's not a good, you don't want to record 4K ProRes on a standard iPhone Pro that would be insane so you're gonna get the 13 pro max you said what color are you gonna get uh graphite this time because the blue's nice but um i've already ordered the no the nomad that does the leather skin thing right 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 yeah i ordered one of those because they already have one made for the 13 so um i went ahead and ordered that uh black leather skin and i'm gonna get a graphite phone to go with it see how that works okay. out very good. Well, I've never gotten a colored phone. I've always gone either black or white. And so I'm going to, I went with the Sierra blue or I'm going to try and pre-order it as we are listening to this. And let's, we'll round out the show with this and then mention Epic v. Apple, which was actually huge news, but it came out last Friday after the show came out. And so we weren't able to cover it. But when it comes to upgrading your iPhone or pre-ordering your iPhone, you were able to do like a pre-pre-order even if you're not on the Apple iPhone upgrade program, Apple is letting you kind of pick out your iPhone and get ready for pre-orders. But by the time this episode comes out, that option will be gone. And so pre-orders start 8 a.m. Eastern time, 5 a.m. Pacific time here in the U.S. And the basically only device that's up for pre-order is the iPhone. You can't get the Apple Watch Series 7. The iPad mini and regular iPad is you know, already been for sale. All the cases for the 13 Pro is already for sale. So everyone's going to be focused on this one iPhone. So hopefully you did that pre-pre-order thing or get your pre-order ready. So Stephen, how do you pre-order your iPhone? This is, do you go through the Apple Card upgrade program or are you on a carrier? I do Apple's iPhone upgrade program. So I send my old phone back to Apple. I get the new one and I keep paying monthly for that. See, I'm I'm trapped. <laughs> You're trapped. What do you do? Uh, I'm in Verizon and I'm on the annual update plan for them, which is fine. It works. Like I'm going to owe them $220 before I'm allowed to upgrade to the iPhone 13, gotcha. which makes sense. It's a, you know, the month difference and whatnot, but yeah, the upgrade program kind of locks you in because if I wanted to switch over to Apple's, I would have to pay them $900 for this phone right. in order to s sell it back to Apple. So I'm I just don't want to do that. <laughs> I mean, you could like pay it off from Verizon and try to do a trade-in, <laughs> you know, see what Apple will give you just cash towards a new phone. But that's actually one of, a, one of our listeners emailed me and he wants to do the iPhone upgrade program, but you can't get it without a carrier connection. Like you can't buy a non-SIM unlocked, no carrier iPhone with the Apple iPhone upgrade program. You have to choose a carrier. And so for him, I said, well, if you can do Apple's program, I think the second best, you know, you can see what carriers offer, but the second best I would think was buying it with an Apple card outright. And if you buy a new iPhone with the Apple card, you pay 0% interest, but you can pay that monthly payment, which would be similar to the iPhone upgrade program. And you can even buy Apple Care Plus with that new iPhone and just pay the payments on Apple Card. You just carry that balance on your card. Me personally, I prefer that balance for the iPhone to be with the third party here in the US. They use Citizens One as like the loan holder. And so that's what I do. I got my pre-order ready and hopefully I will get one on launch day. Again, I will report back to everyone. I'll be tweeting that morning, I'm sure how it went, but that's the plan. So what are you going to do then? Well, so Verizon has been an interesting thing for me because I've always got the iPhone on release date. I think actually maybe last year, the year before last, I might've missed it by like four days, but almost always get the release day iPhone through Verizon. So I've always got lucky. They usually somehow open first or early, uh, like 10 minutes before the hour of Verizon. I'll go ahead and start taking orders. So I'll just be hitting refresh from like the 30 minute mark up to eight o'clock gotcha. here on the East coast. I'm definitely going to go through Verizon again. I'll pay them the $200. I'll do their plan, whatever. But as soon as it becomes more inconvenient for me to do it this way, I will find a way. I guess the 
issue being I don't want to lose my position in line, basically trying to find a way to get on the Apple program. You know what I mean? So no, exactly. This is just more convenient at this point. So you can also do trade in value. So if you own your iPhone outright, you can see what kind of trade in value Apple will give you. But again, you're gonna have to get right in there at eight. I always find the best way to do that is the Apple Store app. I just have it open on one device, usually my iPad. And I'll kind of keep quitting the app and reopening it on my iPhone to see when they finally open it up. For the last pre-orders, for, I think it was the iPad Pro M1, you had to like they kept the store open the whole time and the device just kind of showed up randomly. I hope they don't do that. I hope they just take the store down like they normally do. And then when it comes back up, that's when you can order. But so anyway, let us know what you got for your pre-order, if you were able to get it on launch day and we'll let you know what delays and all that kind of stuff will be coming as well. Finally, I wish I had more time to hit on this, but Epic v. Apple, the judge made a ruling in the case. This was the Epic game versus Apple. They were trying to you know, hammer Apple to maybe get even their own app store on the iPhone. That was not the case. The judge filed an injunction towards Apple. And basically the one concession that Apple is going to have to make after this court case has been revealed is that they will have to allow developers to link to alternate payment methods in app. So a service like Netflix, previously, they couldn't even link you to their website to sign up for Netflix and come back to the app. They basically just had to tell you via text, like, you know, go sign up and come back. Now, Apple is going to allow developers to put a link to alternative payment methods. Unclear whether it's going to be like alternative payment methods in app, or if they'll have to link out to like a web view or kick you out to Safari and you do it in the Safari web browser on your iPhone. But that is the one concession that came. Both Epic Games and Apple will probably be filing appeals, so we might not see any changes from this anytime soon. But that's what came from the case. Well, Epic already filed their appeal um, after you know publicly stating how much that uh, I, I don't know. It, it's it's all very confusing. Like the, Tim Sweeney was on Twitter saying that they're still in this fight or whatever, and then immediately turned around and, and said that they were going to challenge this and bring bring it to the higher courts to evaluate the decision. Even though Apple had to basically do what they wanted, other than open an app store. Tim Sweeney and Epic have shown that this isn't really about smaller developers or the money. It's about Epic being able to sell apps on iOS through their own app store. And yeah. it's getting a little slimy, but outside of all of that and the discussions that are to follow, I have a lot of time to evaluate this and see what Apple does in response as far as allowing buttons and external payments and whatnot. Like what this really means is Netflix is going to be able to say, Hey, click this button to subscribe, pay us directly. But the real thing that might come from this, that's going to be interesting to watch is Apple's likely going to have to invent an entirely new system to collect commissions because now Apple's uh, during the trial, Tim Cook said that they might have to devise a system to get their commission one way or another, which means there's going to be new billing protocols that say, Hey, you have to report to Apple how much money you make from your app that when it's running on Apple platforms, regardless of how that money is paid to them, and then basically pay that 30%. So Apple's going to turn into a miniature IRS collecting this money from <laughs> developers. And it's it's going to, it might turn into a whole thing and we're going to, you know, it, it's, it's going to be a big argument, I'm sure. A lot of lawsuits, a lot of angry people on Twitter. Yeah, we'll see. So I'll put a link to our article in the show notes if you want to read more of the details about all that came from the court case. As long as link to everything we talked about, let us know, listeners, what did you order? iPad mini, iPhone 13? Are you waiting for that Series 7 watch? We'd love to hear from you. You can tweet at Wes and myself. Our Twitter handles are in the show notes. You can also support the show in Apple Podcasts or Patreon.com slash Apple Insider. You can get an ad-free, uninterrupted version of the show that way and early access. And if you haven't yet, we'd greatly appreciate a five-star rating in Apple Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.